When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Hour number two is here. OutKick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Withrow back with us later this week alongside Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton hitting some NFL headlines. Um... Leading off today, Tom Brady and Fox Sports, they've announced that they will be partnering on a long-term deal. Ten years, $375 million, the report, for the contract for Tom Brady as he joins Fox Sports post-career. We gave our thoughts on this earlier in the show. We welcome in John McClain. Almost gets him in range of you, John. Yeah, he's he's right there with you now, John. Ten year agreement, three seventy five. Your thoughts on Brady and and Fox Sports long term partnering up as soon as his career ends, whenever that will be. First of all, when David Hill led Fox into getting the NFL from uh, NBC, I think that was like nineteen ninety four, and John Madden and Pat Summerall. Uh, went over and Madden helped give the deal legitimacy. I believe that whole deal was 500 million. And people thought, my God, how could a company pay that kind of money for a sports product? $500 million. And then here we are today with Tom Brady getting that kind of money. And I think it's tremendous. It's great for Fox. It's great for Brady. I've always said that the only person I would watch a game to see is Peyton Manning. But now I will watch a game to see Tom Brady. I don't care about Troy Eggman or Tony Romo. They're fine. But I don't watch many games uh, because of who the broadcaster is. But Brady is must-see TV. And can you imagine what Peyton Manning could command if Brady gets this? And I hope Brady plays one more season and goes to Fox. I think, does Fox have this next Super Bowl I yes, can't they, they do, and, and the 2024 Super Bowl. And if Brady is playing and he's not in that Super Bowl, I would expect him to make an appearance on Fox during the Super Bowl to help promote what he's going to do when his career's over. And even if he's in the game, I would imagine when Fox wants to do a feature on him at one-on-one, He's going to say, of course, because this is a spectacular deal. I can't wait to see what he does on TV. Somebody said, will he be better than his hero, Joe Montana, who was awful? I think Brady can be great at whatever he wants to do, just like Peyton Manning. Did you, uh, I, I re, when I saw this early this morning, uh, whenever uh, Lachlan Murdoch announced it on the earnings call, um, and I saw the headline, I immediately thought, well, it's one more year for Brady playing. I don't, I don't know if you agree, and I don't know why I automatically think that, given the fact that he just came out of retirement after 40 days. Uh, but that, that was one of my first thoughts. That's the first thing I would think about, too. Now, uh, he'll be 46 in two years if he's going to play in that August. 
And at some point, he's going to retire. I don't think he's going to stay right now. Hey, I'm going to do one more year. He's always said he doesn't want one of these deals where everywhere he goes, they acknowledge his career. He doesn't want that kind of attention, which is interesting, considering the kind of attention he's getting. What a great deal this is for Fox. Think about all the attention they're getting today. They're going to get this contingent attention all the way until he starts, then it's going to just explode. I think it's a brilliant move by the Murdochs. The fact that they kept it quiet is even more special. I'm wondering, uh, does he have a separate agent for deals like this? Don Yee has been negotiating his contracts all along, and I wonder if he has a different agent. And that's one reason they allowed it to stay quiet and didn't get broken by, say, ESPN or the NFL Network. I, I will try to find out an answer to that question before uh, your segment is up with us, John. Um, the Dallas mayor says he wants two NFL franchises. And there are some people reacting to this saying, oh, you know, Jerry would never go for it. Others are saying Jerry should be all about it because he'll be the landlord. Um, wh- where did this get started? And why all of a sudden is the mayor of Dallas saying, hey, we're, we're growing to a point where we can now house two NFL franchises and – by the way, it needs to be right here in Dallas, Texas. Well, Houston's bigger than Dallas and Fort Worth combined, and we don't have anybody down here saying we need two NFL teams. And Jerry Jones has the most valuable franchise in professional sports, and that entails a lot when you consider all those European European Premier League teams. And Jerry's got a he's got a couple of planes maybe more. He's got a 450-foot yacht. I've never heard anybody that has one that big. He's got everything he could ever want. He's about to turn 80. Does he actually need the money from 10 more home games? I don't think so. Now, maybe he'll do it, but I don't see it, and I don't believe he wants it, and I don't believe the mayor wants it. There's people talking about because of gambling, there's going to be rampant uh, expansion. I don't think so. They don't have enough quarterbacks to go around now. And there's such a bad product at the bottom of the league. Do you want more bad teams? I think it's mayor wants a little attention. I don't know if it's election year or what, but he's certainly getting it. It's so neat and tidy, John, with the four team divisions right yeah. now. Do you think that factors into to the idea of expansion and how expansion would throw things off kilter in terms of scheduling and division alignment and the like? Paul, I think the only reason they would expand would be money. It's like the only reason they would try to have a second team in Dallas and uh, it wouldn't actually be Dallas. The stadiums in Arlington is for money. And I just don't – the NFL is driven by money, but right now they need to get everything they can get out of gambling. And there's talk that the NFL will go to every day of the week because of gambling. But if they're going to expand, I don't see it being a Dallas. There's other cities. And uh, at some point, a market that they would love to get into and they might get in lawsuits with the Canadian Football League would be Toronto. And uh, I asked a good friend of mine, Jim Trotter. We know Jim because he works for the NFL Network and covered the Chargers forever in San Diego. He was here for the draft. And I said, is there ever going to be another team in San Diego? Of course, every media person who travels in the NFL wants a team in San Diego for selfish reasons. And he said, uh, no. <laughs> and so that was the name of that tune. And, uh, but there are other teams in which they would line up 
just like they're talking about the next expansion in baseball would be Nashville. And based on what kind of movers and shakers you guys have in Nashville, there's no doubt in my mind, they'd find a way to get a stadium built, remove all the obstacles and get a team there. And uh, if indeed, well, not if, but when they expand. John, would Jerry Jones go for that in Dallas? The only reason Jerry would go for it and not block it was if he decided to cash from 10 more home games a year, plus an incredible fee. Remember, the Spanoses had to pay the Rams hundreds of millions of dollars to play there. And they had to pay hundreds of millions of dollars to to, uh, move there, not just to the Rams, but the rest of the league. So I don't think Jerry Jones, he talks billions. He doesn't talk in hundreds of millions. That's chump change for Jerry. You think the league will eventually make this a uh, more of a schedule rollout week? We get a couple games, the Monday, the two Monday night games yesterday. We get the Christmas Day game today. We'll get a couple more tomorrow um, uh, from Fox. Uh, then Thursday night we get the whole thing. Um and it's, it's somewhat of a holiday uh, for everybody to find out the travel plans and see the matchups and stuff. But they probably could make it a bigger deal if they wanted to by rolling out more on Monday, more on Tuesday, more on Wednesday, and finishing it off on, on Thursday. You think they'll go that direction? Absolutely. I mean, they're already doing it. Remember when they did it in April and it was before the draft and it was a one-day thing, maybe a two, then let's get on with the draft. You know, the NFL PR machine just rolls rolls anywhere it wants, crushes anybody it wants to crush. And just like they're saying NFL will play on every day of the week at some point, and the union, of course, I think would have to sign off on that. The way they have turned the schedule release into a monster a PR tool is amazing. I'm constantly seeing on TV and hearing on the radio, seeing and hearing on the Internet, in breathless fashion that the NFL's releasing who's playing the first Monday night game, who's playing the first Saturday game. It's like bits and pieces and we're ready to chomp on the big, big piece of meat that's in front of us. And of course that's going to be Thursday on the NFL network. Somebody asked Nick Saban, he was available along with Texans coaches and executives yesterday because their annual charity golf tournament, if he would be watching the schedule release on TV. And he said, no. And I want to say, well, of course he's not going to watch it on TV. He's known it for hours. Those teams get those schedules in the morning. It's amazing. More of them don't leak. John, um, we, we know uh, Paul mentioned the, the, the slow leak of the, of the schedule Monday night football in week two, we will see the staggered games where, Around halftime of game number one, game two will kick off. What do you make of the decision by ESPN and ABC to stagger the kickoffs like that rather than the traditional quote-unquote doubleheader that they've done, which the West Coast game would kick off immediately following or at the two-minute warning of the previous kickoff? I guess they want to retain a second half of that second game for the East Coast viewership, which is the largest in the country. The NFL doesn't do anything 
in which it doesn't allow them to make more money. So if they think this is the best way to do it, they're going to do it. They'll try it. If it doesn't result in a bigger audience, more money, more advertising dollars, then they'll go back to the traditional way. I like the way they experiment with television games. I like the fact they go to more international markets. At some point, they're going to go to China. They they thought about going to Hong Kong one year when Oilers were still here, and I did everything I could with people in the league office to point out the Oilers had drawn record crowds to Mexico City, Japan, record crowd in El Paso, and it was all preseason games. I was in Mexico City when they had 112,000, the largest crowd they've ever had for an NFL game. And, and as I told the league that, I said, when you go to China, you got to put the Oilers in the game. They're proven. And one of the guys said to me, and who did they play in those games? And I said, well, the Cowboys, but that's beside <laughs> John McClain with us. You can follow him on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. Yesterday, the Giants, John, uh, freed up some, some cap space by releasing James Bradbury. I saw the reports where the Texans were, were trying to negotiate a contract with him, and if they came to an agreement, he would have been traded to Houston. Does that tell us, based on the release, that well, we know they couldn't come to terms if the report was true that they were look, talking to his agent, but does that tell us that Bradbury's going to a contender um, because he wouldn't take the, the, the money that was offered from Houston? Well, that tells me Houston didn't offer enough money, and wisely so. If he's very good, the Giants would have found a way to get it worked out. Teams don't let their best players get away without getting something for them. Can you imagine A.J. Brown? They just cut him. No, they got a trade for him. So Bradbury, they couldn't get it done, so they traded for Steven Nelson. And uh, then, of course, they used a second overall pick on Derek Stingley Jr., and uh, Bradbury, you know, if you pay guys, it doesn't matter if you're bad or if you're good, they'll take where they get the most money. I, I saw the headlines that said they failed to find a trade partner. And I, I was like, no, they, the teams that wanted to trade for him could not come to an agreement with uh, to terms on a contract extension for Bradbury. That's what happened. It's not that the Giants didn't have offers because I would assume teams out there looking for an upgrade post-draft, Bradbury's at the very top of their list. Um, it just comes down to the money you're willing to give them. And whatever their offer was, was not appeasing to Bradbury. But that, to me, I, I'm curious just where he feels his value is versus whatever Houston, and there may have been other teams that were offering him, but it is a gamble because you've got the extension that you want with the money that you want in some case by taking the offer that Houston would have been willing to trade for. Yeah, he didn't get the money he wanted. That was in April, and then they made the other deal to bring in Nelson and Derek Stingley and Jr., and now he's going to go somewhere else, and hopefully he gets the money he wants. I don't blame guys for wanting a lot of money. Seeing what the wide receivers are getting, they want to get a yeah. piece of the pie. They That's say, it. hey, I'm the one that covers those wide receivers. You know, I cover Tyreek Hill. I cover A.J. Brown. I cover Devontae Adams. Give me money in that range, and nobody's going to do that for him. Jarvis Landry uh, remains a free agent. The Ravens are knocking the door uh, of Landry per reports, trying to, to figure out if he's interested in, in joining their team. Paul and I were discussing this prior to the show, knowing you were coming on and we were going to bring this up. The Ravens make a lot of sense, and there are other teams that will be in contention that make sense as well. Green Bay comes to mind. Indianapolis comes to mind. Uh, veteran quarterbacks there, and then we know Baltimore is in the market for wide receiver given their depth chart right now. If if I were him, 
And he's not going to get big bucks like he hoped he was going to get when he left Cleveland. I would take short-term deal, maybe a one-year deal, try to get 10 million, some of it signing bonus, and then uh, maybe a two-year deal, but they're not going to give more than 10, I don't think. And I would go somewhere where they had a great quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. And if you went, if you thought about, you go to Baltimore, you play outdoors, you go to Indy, you play indoors. And, uh, but because the Ravens are always good and they expect, of course, Lamar Jackson to bounce back and sign a new contract next year. And uh, that would be a good spot. But one of the reasons Hollywood Brown wanted out of there, even though he caught 91 passes last year, he didn't think that emphasis on the running game was conducive to what he wanted to accomplish, which is get big bucks. So that might be something that he has to go somewhere one year, have a great year, and then try to get it somewhere else. John, this He's is not in the, one thing. Excuse me, Paul. He is not in the class of those of those wideouts who've been traded no. like AJ Brown, Tyreek Hill, and Devontae Adams. He's not even close to those guys. This is a time of year where people like to get excited about somebody like Will Fuller who has played 56% of the games uh, that he could have played in in his career. I know he's been gone from Houston for a year and played two games in Miami last year. But deliver the warning uh, that people aren't taking from me to since you've been close to Will Fuller for the vast majority of his career to people who in, in uh, May want to get excited about Will Fuller's speed and think that he could be a help to their team's receiving core. Will Fuller, number one pick here. And his injuries were legitimate. I like to say he's not one of those guys who gives shampoo in his eyes and then misses huh. a month. His injuries are legitimate. Now, his his best season was in his contract year, and that's suspicious. He was playing great. 2020, by far the best year. Oops, substance abuse suspension for six games, including the last five of that season and the first one last year with Miami. And we all believe in Houston that he signed with the Dolphins because he thought he would be reunited with uh, Deshaun Watson because Watson was determined to go to Miami and nowhere else, almost pulled it off before the trade deadline on November 2nd, could only get 18 of the 22 civil suits settled, and that left Fuller in Miami playing only four games. So it won't surprise me at all if he doesn't go to Cleveland for not a lot of money with a lot of incentives based on how many games he played. If a team gives Will Fuller a contract and doesn't make the bulk of it, bonuses per game, roster bonuses, they are nuts. John McClain with us coming up. Volunteers, not hostages. We'll explain the rule that some GMs and many coaches are going by. Why the Seahawks passed on Malik Willis. And we'll ask John McClain, does it matter when it comes to hands, when it comes to travel across the league, and the Seattle quarterback? McClain with us on Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience 
and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Tours are available for the brewery and distillery here at 6th and Peabody. You can visit 6thandpeabody.com for more or follow the link through their Instagram and Twitter bios. Outkick 360 rolls on with Yaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. John McClain with us. John, uh, late last year, Mike Tomlin said we, he wants a roster full of volunteers, not hostages. Chris Ballard echoed that in a recent uh, piece uh, through Yahoo where they sat down and were discussing a variety of things with the Indianapolis Colts general manager. And he said, look, I, I tend to follow uh, what Tomlin once said, which was, you know, you want, to, you want guys who are volunteers, not hostages. And... Many have tied that into what we've seen the Titans do with A.J. Brown, what we saw with Kansas City or in Green Bay with their wide receivers. But I'll, I'll add to that, the key with the teams trading away the player who's playing the hostage role comes with picks in return that teams can then turn that hostage into more volunteers. That's the part that's being left out in this. And in all three cases, we saw big, big picks lead to acquisitions through this draft of receivers that they hope can turn into the next big thing for their offense? First of all, Jonathan, I think it's just preposterous to call guys who make millions of dollars hostages. Yeah. To me, it's about you want guys who want to be there and who are not out for just the money. There's no nothing wrong for a player trying to get as much as he can get. I'm all for A.J. Brown getting every penny he can get, and if he couldn't get it from the Titans, he's getting it from the Eagles. The Eagles are a good spot for him because Jalen Hurts is on his rookie contract. Those are the teams that can usually afford to do something like that, like Tyreek Hill with Tua Tungavailoa. Derek Carr just signed an extension, and that was one of the reasons they were able to get Devontae Adams and fit him under their salary cap. But uh, I think it is interesting to see how some teams have no problems paying wide receivers that kind of money and others do. And in a perfect world, the wide receiver will play great for his new team and the team will use those picks wisely, develop those players wisely. I would It wouldn't surprise me at all if we don't see the wide receivers with so many coming into the NFL who can play, goes back to 7-on-7 seven seven in high school, the way colleges throw the ball all the time, the receivers are ready-made. That you'll see other teams decide we're not investing in a wide receiver, we'll draft one, and we'll have him at least four years if we draft him in the first round, three years if we don't. And I think that's the philosophy, and we'll see how that bears out. Hopefully in the Titans' case, and their fans, it'll work out, and they'll continue to rule the AFC South. 
as far as the thing about volunteers instead of hostages, you know, usually players that are unhappy, it's either over money or playing time. The, the person that gets left out of this equation in terms of making guys feel like they're hostages are, are the agents. The agent like Tory Dandy and, uh, and Jimmy Sexton, who are making A.J. Brown take the approach where he feels like he's a hostage as opposed to feeling like I might be able to work something out with these guys in, in the long term and, and be a career titan if, if I wanted to be. Um, and they skate because they're behind, behind the scenes. But they're the guys, in, in a lot of these cases, planting these seeds in, in players' heads. Absolutely. The agents wanted to be like the NBA, where the players and the agents run the NBA. And you see teams that are able to put together super teams, like LeBron James did with Miami when they won, I think, three titles. Then he goes back to L.A. and they win one. And I, I think this, that is something the NFL owners loathe. They do not want to be a league where the players and the union run it and the agents. You know, that's they, the agents and the union run baseball. They run basketball. NFL owners don't like it when they start to run football. And you see a deal like Deshaun Watson's $230 million guaranteed given by Cleveland. I don't care what Jimmy has. I'm said about uh, people talking about to his face. I'll guarantee you at the league meetings, they were talking behind his back because you don't give a contract like that and not have fallout with your partners. And because now you think about every agent is going to use that as an example. They may not get 230 million, but by God, they want that contract guaranteeing it sets precedent. So we're going to see how that plays out. But um, agents right now, are they're doing a good job for their clients. As long as the clients don't care where they play. And I go back to Jalen Ramsey. He wanted out of Jacksonville, like so many players have. They get him to the Rams. He gets a new contract. He goes to the Pro Bowl, All Pro, now Super Bowl champion. That's worked out tremendously. And that shows what can be done if the player is willing to do what it takes to get out. Let me give you three teams who have built things up around their quarter, their young quarterbacks who it seems to me they don't know if these guys are the guys or not. Who's got the best chance? Philadelphia, Miami, or the Jets to emerge out of this season knowing that they've got a quarterback to build around as opposed to returning to the draft or free agency to go look for a new quarterback? If the Eagles believed in Jalen Hurts as much as they try to say they do, they wouldn't have been after Deshaun Watson as much as they were. Uh, he ruled out a trade last year early in the season to Philadelphia because he had the no trade clause. His agent, David Mulligan, had done such a great job to get. At the time, nobody thought anything about it. No way he's ever leaving Houston. And if I look, Zach Wilson has not played enough for us to know. To a tongue of Iloa, he's going to get hurt. He gets hurt every year. But uh, I don't know that you can count on him because of his health although he's got a new head coach, an offensive-oriented coach who likes him. They've got weapons around him. And um, and I just – I think Philadelphia went to the playoffs, but I'm still going to go with Tua because of the talent that they put around him at the skill positions. Yeah, that they've done the most around their quarterback. That is that is yeah. for sure with, with the offseason. 
And the um, coach is the biggest unknown, too. Pr- yeah, promising too. unknown. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, John, uh, the Seahawks passed on Malik Willis, um, and they passed on all these quarterbacks. But the report from ESPN uh, that we, we touched on a bit yesterday on the show, they passed on Malik, Malik Willis because they deemed him unfit to play quarterback in the NFL. Um, not just a developmental guy, but a guy they don't foresee uh, being anything more than a, a project and a backup at best. Um, and, and by passing on him and all the quarterbacks, they're saying Geno Smith and Drew Locke give them the best chance to win at that position. Are, are you buying what the Seattle Seahawks were saying about this quarterback crop more than you are what some of the other teams in the third round did at the quarterback position? First of all, that report may or may not be true. Uh, it could be, but it could not be. And I've been told that if Baker Mayfield is cut, it'll be all over him. And uh, Drew Locke, boy, I remember the first start of his career was in Houston. They beat the Texans, and when the Texans were winning division, going to the playoffs, and he looked stupendous. He's never looked like that again. Now, they they say they had him higher rated than uh, where he was picked in the second round. You talk about having a lot of good skill position players. He re-signed Rashad Penny. He did a really good job over the last five games at running back. They drafted Kenneth Walker the third, second best back behind Brees Hall. They traded in the Russell Wilson deal for tight end Noah Fant. And they still have Lockett and Metcalf at wide receiver. And they drafted two offensive tackles. So they've done a lot on their offense. It seems a tailor-made offense for a quarterback who's either good or has a chance to be good. And they've seen, they've watched every play of Drew Locke's career. And they saw something that Denver did not. So they're going to give him a chance. But as far as thinking Malik Willis would never play in the league, I'd be stunned. I've never seen anything from anybody anywhere who said that. And that's why I think the Titans getting him in the third round, giving him a chance to develop behind Ryan Tannehill is one of the smartest moves of the of the draft. It was Carroll or Schneider one who said that Drew Locke would be the top quarterback selected in this draft. Yeah, I can't remember which one. Every time one of them talks, I think it's the other one, just like there yeah. were people, yeah. not in Houston, but people, the draft Knicks, saying if Davis Mills had come out this year, he would have been the top player. But that's not saying much. This was a very mediocre draft for quarterbacks as compared to next year when right now everybody thinks it's going to be great with guys like Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. But I remember this time last year, people saying, man, next year's draft with Spencer Rattler and Sam Howe, it's got a chance to be special too. And it was awful. And uh, Malik Willis probably doesn't need any motivation. But every once in a while, I'll bet somebody will say, hey, remember Seattle said you'd never play in this league? What what are the Browns waiting on if they're going to cut Mayfield? Maybe they're just torturing him uh, <laughs> because they don't like him, making him squirm a little bit. Maybe they're waiting to see if he can get some new commercials for his next team <laughs> to do at their stadium. And um, everybody says it's over money, $18.8 million. Give me a break. These owners are multi-billionaires. They talked about one report said Carolina didn't do the deal because they couldn't come to agreement on who would pay what out of the $18.8 million when the owner, David Tepper, is the wealthiest in the NFL and is worth multiple, <laughs> multiple billions. I'm sure 18.8 or 10 or whatever it was they were talking about is, is what killed that deal. Yeah, give me a break. 
Um, everybody seems to think they're going to cut him. They wouldn't cut him before. They were worried about him going to the Steelers. Now that Pittsburgh was taking Kenny Pickett in the first round and they signed uh, Trubisky, they'd be less likely to do it. Wouldn't it be great if they did it anyway? Yeah. And told Kenny Pickett, hey, this guy's in the last year of the contract. We're going to let you compete with him. And that'd be okay for Pickett. The guy gets screwed would be Mitchell Trubisky who went there thinking he was going to start. Browns have $24 million in cap room, even with that 18 for Mayfield. I, I say, why not hold on to him until somebody gets hurt somewhere? And, and then you see if they're over a barrel and they need Baker and maybe well, the they problem, take a little bit of the money. The problem is if you buy the reports that there will be teams interested in Jimmy Garoppolo when he proves he can throw the football with his throwing shoulder, um, he's going to be dealt. Now, that's if you buy that report, and that's one less team that would be involved in a trade post, you know, whatever that date would be. That's that's right around training camp is whenever that, that report is saying that, that he would be dealt. It'd be, it'd be in July sometime. Um, so Wouldn't really I, change I don't know, my I, scenario. I, um, and, and, and from the scenario, John, that you threw out about how Seattle um, would be all over Mayfield if he's released – to me, it makes business sense to trade a very late round pick in exchange a for couple million. in exchange for Cleveland picking up part of the contract, whatever it might be, and not having to bid against another team on the open market for Baker, whoever that might be, or allow Baker Mayfield to select where he goes. I would, if I'm Seattle, I think the business sense, and, and I could be totally wrong, would make sense to trade for him now if if Cleveland's picking up any percentage of that contract. Well, first of all, let's assume Cleveland would take a low pick. We don't know. They may be trying to get a three. They may as opposed to uh, releasing that's him. That's crazy. As opposed yeah, to go releasing by, him. Yeah, go by Paul's theory that if you wait, quarterbacks are going to get hurt. They always do. Garoppolo's a long way from being ready. It's his throwing shoulder, and he didn't have the best arm to begin with. And how's he going to prove that he's throwing at the time? They don't do tryouts. So I think I could see the 49ers – hanging on to Garoppolo till early November at the trading deadline. Then he's had plenty of time to be ready. If he gets to play in preseason, that'd be one thing. But I don't see him being dealt uh, any time in the offseason. As far as Mayfield, if they say there's so much bad blood there, if they keep him on the roster, he may have a deal like Deshaun Watson here last year where he had to come to work every day, uh, did everything on his own, and then he could go home in the afternoon. But they don't want Mayfield out there at training camp like they put Watson out there last year and was a huge distraction. And the Texans weren't going anywhere. Browns are trying to bounce back and get back in the playoffs and win the AFC North. So I think Mayfield's going to be traded. I think it'll be before the season. But I think Garoppolo will be more likely for the trading deadline in early November. Okay, it's May 10th. Uh, let's just put that out there. It's May 10th, but gut feeling. Do you feel like Trey Lance is ready to go in San Francisco? I saw Trey Lance start against the Texans, and the Texans were within a touchdown in the fourth quarter, and then he had a really good run. You know, obviously Kyle Shanahan thinks he is, or he wouldn't have traded what he did to get him. But he certainly didn't come out and play like Drew Locke did in his first start against the Texans, but he won the game, and he's a totally different quarterback than Jimmy G. And uh, if Garoppolo's there and they haven't traded him and he's healthy, if they play him and he gets hurt again, then that hurts them. I think the Trey, Trey Lance era 
is beginning in San Francisco. They're certainly treating him like that in the other sports and on social media. An example, you know, he's courtside last night for the Warriors-Grizzlies game out in San Francisco with George Kittle. Like, they're, they're, there's a reason why they're showing him on TV and on the Jumbotron. They're treating him like the he's starting the quarterback. He's not the backup. Backups don't get on the Jumbotron at NBA playoff one, games. That's one of those deals where they say, oh, George Kittle's coming. Let's give him. He's got a plus <laughs> He's got a plus one. Oh, yeah, it's Trey Lance. <laughs> uh, John, uh, three three examples here. You tell me if it matters or not. Kenny Pickett's hand size. It's been a big debate through the, the draft. Richard Sherman, who may be joining Amazon, uh, he's saying that it's, it's going to play a factor. The glove size that he'll be wearing matters when gripping the football. Ultimately, does this matter? If it doesn't matter to the Pittsburgh Steelers, one of the greatest franchises in the history of the NFL, it certainly doesn't matter to me. The amount of travel time for teams. Seattle, they're traveling nearly 30,000 miles. They're going to change time zones 34 times this upcoming season. (laughs) Meanwhile, Pittsburgh will travel just 6,400 miles, and they will not even leave the eastern time zone in their travel. Does that matter? In my 45 years of covering the NFL, I've never heard a team at the end of the season say we didn't make the playoffs. And Man, it's because we had to travel so much. (laughs) Absolutely not. They travel in luxury. If they want to stay in a time zone in luxurious hotels, they can do that for another week. Travel is not an issue. I'll counter that. I don't think Seattle's got any chance of making the playoffs. But I think a team like that, and Mike Sando, who's a Seattle-based guy, has done a lot. Those West Coast teams coming east and playing the equivalent of a 10 a.m. game, that wears on you. Well, they normally don't have to do that. It's unnatural. They normally they, they'll move the, uh, they move the kickoff. Anytime Seattle's played here in, in Nashville, they move that kickoff to an afternoon kick. Well, Same we, thing for the Rams. We saw the Cardinals play opening day here last year, and it was a noon game. Yeah, but they're not coming off a road trip. That's an opening game season deal. I mean, that's yeah. A, but you're coming three time zones and playing what's equivalent for you a 10 a.m. game, which is weird, and that adds up. I do think I do think those teams are at a disadvantage with that. Ultimately, and some of the best they can blame adds, it adds up. They they can blame it on the time zone and not the Drew Lock trade. No, they suck. I mean, they're, they're going to have problems because they – I think it matters more to their 71-year-old coach than it does their quarterback uh, having to travel See, I, that much. I, I don't think they're going to suck because they got so much talent on offense. And by drafting Kenneth Walker the third to go with Rashad Penny, they're going to run, go back to old-fashioned football, the Mike Vrabel school of football offense, so you, and they're going to run it and try to keep the games close. Yeah, you're saying they're not number one overall pick, but they're, they could be uh, you know, seven, seven wins – for instance, that does that doesn't constitute a, a bad team, is what you're saying? No, I think they'd be somewhere in the range of seven or eight. They just they got a good coach, they got good, they got a good philosophy, and they have restocked their offense. Well, so that goes to my my third and final one for you on does it matter? The Seattle quarterback. We're debating Baker Mayfield, Geno Smith, Drew Locke. Based on the style of offense that you foresee them running, does it matter who they go with? 
Absolutely. I think Baker Mayfield in the last year of his contract with a huge chip on his shoulder, he had a great running game in Cleveland, would have a great running game in Seattle. He wouldn't be playing in the windiest stadium in the league two years ago. He threw for almost 4,000 yards and they beat Pittsburgh in the playoffs. Drew Locke hadn't done squat. Give me Baker Mayfield over Drew Locke any day of the week. It matters to DK Metcalf and Drew Locke. Oh, oh, for yeah, Tyler Not Drew Lockett. Lockett. Tyler Lockett. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, it does. John, thank you as always. Great stuff. Have a great week, and we'll chat with you next Tuesday. Jonathan Paul, thank you guys very much as always. Take care. John McLean, follow him on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. Um, Drew Lock. I turned Drew Lock into Drew Lockett. Drew Lockett. Yeah. See if they're a huge combination, they could become Drew Lockett. See, without Baker, I don't think it matters which guy they go with. No, because they both stink. Um, Geno Smith is. I mean, uh, and again, like that, that goes back to why have they not made a move already when they continue to talk about Drew Locke being, you know, much better than what he's been in Denver. That's great if they're a, a run and defense offense, but at some point you're going to have to hit those two receivers to take advantage of your run game. And I don't have any confidence in Drew Locke or Geno Smith doing it on a regular basis. Rangers manager Chris Woodward took a shot at Yankee Stadium. PK responds to the facts that were, well, false from Woodward. That's next to now kick 360. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On Sunday, Glaber Torres hit a... 369-foot home run that won the Yankees a game against the Rangers. It was a walk-off. And uh, post-game, in between games, Chris Woodward, the manager for the Texas Rangers, said, quote, that's an easy out in 99% of ballparks. He just happened to hit it in a little league park. Uh, of course, this was down the right field line in the short, the short fence there. Uh, Outkick 360 rolls on. Paul, your thoughts on Chris Woodward and the Little League Park mention for Yankee Stadium? Well, he said he was joking later after he got destroyed for this. But uh, it turns out Glaber Torres' home run would have been out of 26 of 30 ballparks in the major leagues, Chris. Um, <laughs> but home runs hit by your players on that same day, a uh, home run by Mitch Garver, would have been out of two parks. And a home run hit by Eli White, 342 feet, would have been out of two parks. So if there's a little league uh, element to Yankee Stadium, which has short right field, it was your Rangers who were barely getting it over the fence, not the Yankees. So joke's on you, it seems like, that your uh, guys with their little muscles are the ones who are barely nudging it over the fence, and the Yankees were actually hitting balls that would have been on a 26 of 32 parks not just two Aaron Boone said his math was off uh, that 99 he said it would have been out of 99 percent of fields he said that that math doesn't work with 30 ballparks 99 percent doesn't divide evenly which it doesn't which was a good comeback I know just uh, globe live field has a short right field as well does it not 
I'm, I'm trying to remember the dimensions of that. And I'm not familiar with it enough because I'm still disgusted that the Rangers built a new stadium like five years after they built a new stadium. That's what teams are doing. <laughs> They're keeping up with the Joneses out there in Arlington, literally. <laughs> yeah, for, it's crazy to me that they built. I mean, their old park I, uh, was a place I would have liked to have gone that seemed quite nice. And it had, what, a 20-year lifespan, which is way too short a yeah. lifespan to have. I'm pretty sure that the, the Rangers have a short porch on right field as well. Maybe not to the same consistency. Maybe, you know, it dips and angles away that, you know, they had to be hip and in the moment of all these different angles. And who knows, maybe like right center's 400 feet and, and right field's actually 320, you know, for them. But uh, nonetheless. There are cheap home runs to be had there, but don't make fun of the other team when you're the team that's actually ta- uh, taking advantage of them. Yeah, it's a, it's a really stupid thing to say. I think. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's maybe. I don't know what the question was um, in the setup in regards to the walk-off shot by Torres, but maybe he's asking something on his closer. You know, hey, closer gave up another. I don't know what the Rangers, you know, win-loss record is in the bottom of the ninth. But Torres um, has eight walk-offs since he's been a starter wow. for the Yankees. League high, pretty ridiculous number. Yeah, the Yanks may- and Orioles both won while we were on the air yesterday. A rarity because the <laughs> Orioles rarely win. Yeah, they, yeah that, that might be the only time we can mention that the Yanks and the Orioles both win at the same time. Um, look, I, I'm all for the, the short porch idea. You want I, them everywhere. I, yes. I like the homers. I, if, I want, I, if you have a short porch. I like porch, the wiffle ball little league aspect of this. If you have a short porch, you got to have a short wall so that there could be catches made. Over the top. Over the top, even if fans are dumb enough to interfere and then let the umpires sort it out. That that right field wall, not in the corner, but out where the right fielder is, was a big concern early that first year. Remember, balls were going out of there. Yes, It did settle down. But if you put it in the right spot, you you get a relatively easy homer. Now, in left left center is a different deal. I feel bad for for the pitchers, you know, in in this regard, where you can set your lineup at home for that for that right field, but I mean, again, like I, I, I would rather have the homer than have the pitchers happy. Yanks were having a field day with it. They're broadcasters because you know there's a secondary wall in left field that, like an oh, old no. Yankee stadium, and Stanton hit one out of that, and their broadcaster said, "Oh, Woodward would like that one." Well, M- uh, Michael Kay had the tweet yeah, of the week a- where he tweeted out a shot of uh, batting practice. He said, "What a beautiful day here in Williamsport." Of, well, of Yankee Stadium. Somebody else put together a video of the home run with actually the Williamsport fence in the back. Brady has signed with Fox Sports. Details next.